Let's go, folks. Time for the Gibby Show. How you doing, baseball fans? And welcome to a special edition of the Gibby Show presented by Miller Lite, the official beer of Major League Baseball and the Gibby Show. I'm John Arezzi with Gibby now, a member of the Mets coaching staff. We are finishing up the month covering the Jays until the end of December. And today's show, we will focus on the biggest story in baseball. Uh, that is Shohei Otani signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And unfortunately, the Blue Jays missing out on that free agent who is signing a massive $700 million deal and uh, how uh, the Jays now need to pivot from Otani, uh, who's now a member of the Dodgers. We will bring on Baseball Insider covering the Blue Jays every day. Respected journalist Keegan Matheson will join us for the leadoff. We'll also have another best of uh, gabbing with Gibby. Uh, This time we're going to focus on that amazing uh, 2015 team, the run-up, and uh, it's going to be quite interesting to see and go back on uh, the archives and see Gibby's interaction uh, and discussion about that 2015 team, including the guy that hit that uh, bat flip heard around the world. So uh, you'll enjoy that as well. And inspired by our friends at Miller Lite, we will toast and roast or roast and toast someone in baseball. On today's leadoff, our coverage will focus on the biggest contract in the history of professional sports and how the signing of Shohei Otani will impact not only the game of baseball, uh, but how the signing affects the Toronto Blue Jays in 2024 and beyond. Uh, It's a pleasure to welcome back uh, to the Gibby Show one of the most respected baseball journalists out there in the game since 2019. He's been the full-time Toronto Blue Jays journalist, beat reporter for MLB.com. If you want to get the inside story on anything Toronto Blue Jays, there's only one guy to go to, and he's here with us today. It's our pleasure to welcome back Keegan Matheson to the Gibby Show. Keegan, welcome back. Hey, thank you, John, for having me. How are you guys doing now? Uh, we're hanging in, hanging in. I, I know we uh, talked a little bit offline that uh, the baseball winter meetings were really unusual, and especially the yeah. location. First time you had a chance to be at that Opryland Resort, and uh, I guess <laughs> I guess it wasn't the most pleasant experience for a lot of people who saw the enormity of the building and the layout of it. <laughs> it was the most interesting place I've ever been, I think. I, the, the world of convention centers, I get to see it once a year at the MLB Winter Meetings because yeah. I, I know a lot of people see just what we do at the Winter Meetings, which is reports and transactions. Really, the Winter Meetings are also a massive trade show. It's for the business side of baseball. These things are huge, absolutely massive. Uh, the Opryland Resort uh, Convention Center, I've never been somewhere that big. It's got to be a few thousand rooms. I was saying to you before we started that when the woman at the front started to draw a map for me uh, to my room, I was uh, I was worried. It's uh, just a lot of time spent, uh, number one, looking for my room, wondering where I was, and a lot of time spent just uh, looking out over this uh, this uh, abyss or whatever you want to call it and thinking, you know what, we're not meant to live like this as as human beings. There were indoor rivers, there were boats running through it, there were palm <laughs> trees, everywhere. trees. It was yeah. a, when, from my balcony alone. I had a balcony looking out over the rivers and palm trees, all of which yeah. were fake. 
and I could see yeah. multiple photos with Santa locations throughout <laughs> it. So it was a baseball industry mixed with uh, family vacations, and uh, boy, oh boy, I'm happy to be back in Toronto. Very happy to oh, be back in Toronto. I'm, I'm sure you are uh, the world's largest atrium. Uh, yes. But we're we're certainly here to talk about uh, the biggest news story uh, of yep. the year, uh, the prize that every Jays fan had hoped would be the best Christmas present ever. It's not to be. Shohei Otani is a Los Angeles Dodger signing the richest contract in the history of not only baseball, but in the history of professional sports. Um, uh, throughout the history of the Jays uh, over the years, there's been plenty of heartbreak. Um, how would you compare this uh, Otani signing elsewhere uh, in regards to disappointment in the history of the franchise and for the city of Toronto. This is something we'll be talking about 10 years from now. This is something we might be talking about eventually during Shohei Otani's Hall of Fame induction. This is, this is one that does not go away. You know, you, you look at recent years, uh, going back to even you, Darvish, some of these pursuits that the Blue Jays have been close on and haven't landed those have tended to fade away, but Shohei Otani does not fade away. Uh, this is a guy that will haunt you forever, <laughs> for as long as he is in Major League Baseball and probably well beyond. And what we're seeing really above everything in this pursuit is that beyond baseball, what Shohei Otani represented was hope in all of this. And it's, it is hope that sells tickets. It is hope that excites fans. And when you lose hope, nothing hurts like that. Because when you dream on Shohei Otani, you're dreaming on the best player in the sport, the coolest player in the sport, the most beloved player internationally in the sport, could really come to Toronto. And then it didn't happen. Uh, hopes were high. Hopes were extremely high, uh, higher than I have ever seen. And on one hand, that is the absolute beauty of baseball. It's a bunch of people all at once just really caring about something and, and getting excited uh, without, uh, without worry, without checking yourself. That's the, that's the beauty of being a fan. You, you get to be a little unhinged in a healthy way. It's a good thing. And for that to build up to such an extent and then not happen, ooh, the, the Blue Jays are, are left with a really uncertain path forward where they need to, John, not just rebuild a roster, but they need to rebuild the hope of a fan base that's been pretty beaten up the last few years. Three of the last four years, wild card series that went loss, 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 loss. 0-6 in those games. Yes. There was finally that hope. Man, tough for a fan base that is stuck with this team. Yeah, it was so. Uh, there was so much optimism. Uh, but question for you, do you believe the Jays were legitimately in this right to the end, or did Otani's agents simply do a great job of using the – Jays as, uh, as, you know, a stocking horse to get that Dodgers number up to $700 million, which Otani signed for. I really do believe the Blue Jays were in this up to the end and very serious throughout. Now, the word serious can take on a lot of different definitions in, in baseball pursuits like this. In past years, we've seen a lot of times where the Blue Jays or other teams were serious, but didn't really get to those final stages, making a final offer having visits, having the player done, visit Dunedin, uh, the complex to tour that. The Blue Jays wanted Shohei Otani, period. They were all in. 
they wanted to go for him and build this next era of competitive baseball around him. The tough part of trying to live at this level of Major League Baseball is that you either get him or you don't. And in the coming days, uh, you may be already, but certainly in the coming days, I think you will see a lot of revisionist history of it was always the Dodgers, the Blue Jays got used. Well, at a certain level, negotiations are just negotiations. Good agents are going to leverage teams, are going to leverage interest. Uh, That's how this happens. And when you are shopping at the top of the market, when you are sitting at the adults table in all of this, if you lose, you just lose. There's no more bronze medal to be happy about, like maybe eight, 10 years ago. If the Blue Jays were close on a guy 10 years ago, fantastic. It's almost like they're getting invited to sit at that adult's table, but they're there now. And when you miss a guy, you just plain miss him. And that's where the Blue Jays are right now. They were legitimately going after him. I believe legitimate finalists for him, but 700 million bucks, the deferrals involved, what the Dodgers offer, Obviously, Shohei Otani wanted that. And the Blue Jays, it's it's nice to say they were close. It's nice to say they offered X and Y, but there are two groups of teams now, the Dodgers and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way it, it really appears. Um, another thing that's been circulating, uh, uh, I know John Heyman had a column that came out that this was good for baseball, him going to the Dodgers rather than the Jays, and he's not a Jay, you know, a, a Canada uh, hater or anything like that. But I mean, that stuff is starting to get out a little bit. Uh, do you think the commissioner's office gave out a sigh of relief with him going to the Dodgers rather than Toronto? And for it, what it reason? It amaze me that Toronto is painted in this light. You know, I, I grew up, up in a rough small town. That's not Toronto. My goodness, this is a massive, gorgeous city that offers you everything you could want. You know, if you're bored in Toronto, you're doing something wrong. It's your own fault. And when you even consider the size of the market in Toronto itself, also Canada, you're talking about 40 million people in Canada. That's about the size of California population wise. It is such a unique market. Now, on one hand, I don't really believe this is as big a tipping point or selling point as it's often made out to be. The contract always wins. And then whoever pays you the most money, then all of a sudden Toronto or Cincinnati or Dallas, Texas is the most beautiful place you have ever been. (laughs) The best place you've ever been is where it gives you the good contract. But when we see Toronto talked about in hindsight after these negotiations, it's good for baseball to have one of their biggest markets with one of their biggest stars. We're seeing how international this game is with what you see the following of Otani in Japan. I think the best example, John, is how media coverage works. When I'm on the mm-hmm. road for a Blue Jays game, a lot of times it's just me and one or two other writers. If Otani had have signed in Toronto, that's 20, 25 writers, most of whom are working for Japanese outlets covering Otani every day. It's difficult for me to even wrap my head around the interest level and the level of fame that Shohei has. Probably why he wanted this to be so secretive. I don't know if that guy can even step out of his house most days. But when Toronto is spoken about like that, and, and listen, I'm a small town guy who came to Toronto and didn't like it for a while. That was uh, that was more me than the city, but I know how it feels to come around on this city. It's a great place to live. Ballplayers who come here love it. 
Kevin Gossman just tweeted about that earlier today, standing up for Toronto. This is yeah. not a small northern village uh, like some people rather lazily want to still believe or pretend they believe uh, for the sake of the story. Well, it's uh, the third largest uh, market in North America. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, it is. And every player that we've had on this program uh, who are now playing for the Jays from elsewhere, yep. everyone falls in love with the city. Everyone falls in love with everything the city offers. So uh, to hear that, it would have been great. Uh, for Shohei to land in in Toronto uh, if he was on that plane that everyone's talking about too, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, yeah, uh, so that when you hear that, even myself, who you know, I'm a, uh, a born and bred New Yorker. I've been living in Nashville for 20 years, uh, but uh, just looking at the city of Toronto and the fan base and the passion of the entire uh, the entire country for the Jays, uh, this would have been. This would have been amazing to have him there. Uh, you wrote a great uh, column uh, on MLB.com, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And you really, you really laid it out uh, with uh, extreme passion about what this would have meant to the city and to the Blue Jays. Uh, but now um, they have to pivot. Where do the Toronto Blue Jays go from here? Man, the million-dollar question now. And, of course, this front office has backup plans and backup plans to those plans, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing is going to excite this fan base like Otani would, number one. At this point, what's going to get the fan base back and reinstill some of that hope is winning playoff games, period. Right now, this team is stuck in prove-it mode, I think. Even if they win 100 games, well, prove it. Win some playoff games. You know, go where you're supposed to go. Make a run at the division. For the Blue Jays, I think they can be flexible in terms of where they target positionally. That's at least a decent starting point. And if you are the Blue Jays, you almost need to try to forget that Juan Soto and Shohei Otani ever happened. Let's just look at this class and call it a slightly below average free agent class and see if you can make the most of it, frankly, if you're the Blue Jays. Now, the easy pivots would be to someone like a Cody Bellinger, who has incredible upside and incredible risk. You kind of look down at a, a Matt Chapman, go a little lower to some Reese Hoskins, sorry, J.D. Martinez types that make a lot of sense in the middle of this lineup. But in any of those situations, you're going to need a couple more pieces. And you're not just changing your team with an Otani or a Soto. You need to fit some pieces together. Now, the Blue Jays do have the advantage of having a lot of middle infield depth. You're talking about the Davis Schneiders, a lot of prospects below him. So those guys can handle a second or a third base if you spend elsewhere. But the Blue Jays could also go big in the pitching market. You could look at a Yamamoto and just try to win games by shutting people down. But I think the Blue Jays, more than anything, if there's one answer I can give to this, it's that they'll hit the trade market. And I think quite aggressively uh, hit the trade market. Similar to what they did for Matt Chapman a couple of years back, finding a guy who is on a team that may not need him or may not want to pay him, I think will be a big thing this offseason. There are some teams that are maybe not actively cutting money, but they sure aren't adding it. And if the Blue Jays can flex their financial muscle in the trade market, I think that's a strength of this front office. I know that today is not when people want to hear about strengths of this front office. I get it. 
But over the past few years, they've done a good job of using money in trades. I think they have laid a lot of groundwork on the trade market as a backup, and that is where they need to be aggressive because free agency doesn't offer a ton of high-end options beyond the Bellinger tier, and he's going to be pricey along with those next couple of names. Yeah, Yeah, and Bellinger had a really good comeback season in his walk year did fabulous and uh, but he could be that option i mean that uh, plan c because plan a didn't happen plan b which was soto he goes to the yankees uh he'll be a free agent most likely and who knows what he's going to be asking for if he has a good yeah. season with the yankees so uh yeah i mean uh, there's so much uh here uh and also um uh building from within the organization you you mentioned that they have all of these uh, young prospects that are emerging uh, David Schneider was certainly a great example of that uh, when he when he came up. So do you think it's a, a, also another option to really now focus on building this this team uh, from within? You need to do that more. And great teams have a David Schneider or a David Schneider type every year, every other year. It's been a while if you cut out Bo and Vladdy, who are real cornerstones, It's been a while since we saw the Blue Jays steadily over and over produce position players for their roster who can complement this roster. And that is very important. Now, where they're at right now, beyond Davis Schneider, you have looking down the list, you have Arelvis Martinez, you have Addison Barger, Ernie Clement will get a shot. Damiano Palmajani is one to watch at third base as well. Then you have the Biggios, the Espinals. That's how you want to do it. You want to have six or seven because four or five aren't going to work out. That's the way baseball works. So if you produce them in bulk and you have lots of options who can compete, that's the sweet spot. The Dodgers have done a good job of this over the years, just producing talent internally. And the beauty of that, number one, is that you get good players. The second beauty of that, if you really want to dehumanize it, is that you can get players who you're developing for cheaper. You are paying a guy 700K, a million bucks, instead of having to go out into free agency and spend 8 million bucks for a guy who's going to play part-time. That's what allows you to really boost the top end of your spending. And if the Blue Jays can do a better job of that, that's going to allow this to sustain itself because they have nailed these big money free agents. Gosman, when you look at the Barrios extension that looks good again, Bassett, they're nailing that, especially on the pitching side. But eventually, you're going to get stuck with a bad contract or two, and you need to protect yourself with development. The Blue Jays still have a ways to go in that, but doing a bit better lately. Yeah, uh, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Uh, one other question when it comes to some existing players, now that all this money has been freed up since it's not going to Otani, there's a lot of talk. Well, maybe it's time to extend Bo or Vladdy. Um, and with this, with the uh, season that Vladdy had, it was underperforming uh, somewhat. What do you think the Jays should do there? Should you go out and kind of appease the fan base uh, by extending these two uh, foundations of the organization, or do you kind of kind of wait it out a little bit more to see where they head and how they perform in 2024? When you're looking at both, I think they might be slightly different cases when I look at them because I feel like I know who Bo Bichette is. Every day, every season, I think you can project him within a tighter window, if that makes sense. 
Vladdy, it's tough. How much are you paying for 2021 when he almost beat Shohei for that MVP? And how much are you paying for a guy who is going to OPS in the low 800s and tantalize you with power, but maybe only have one or two of those peak seasons? That's the same argument that would be coming from Vladdy's side and his reps and his agents. They'll be saying, hey, this guy's young. You're going to be getting those peak seasons. He still is 2021 version of himself. It's a tough middle ground to find. And I feel like finding that middle ground with Bo Bichette is a little easier to just locate at the very least. Now, that being said, very broadly speaking, the closer you get to free agency, the harder these deals are. I think that's why we're seeing a lot of them happen very early for players, but not really in this middle or second third of their arbitration control. Because if you are Bo Bichette, if you are Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it's it's difficult to understand how attractive this must be for those young men. And it's something that I try to wrap my head around more and I try to do a better job of because it's easy for me to say, sure, throw money at them. But they'll have a chance to be the guy on the free agent market. They're going to watch Juan Soto on that free agent market next year and say, yes, please. <laughs> I want to be that guy. With Instead of one team negotiating against me and the potential future, we've got 10 teams. We've got 20 teams. You see what can happen with Shohei Otani late in these processes where millions and millions and millions get added on. I think the open market is so attractive to those guys. And yeah. while it would make sense for the Blue Jays to lock one up and say to fans, hey, this isn't just a rush for the next two years. We're going to do this long term for good. If you're Bo and Vladdy, they had better be offering you a ridiculous contract for you to give up the opportunity to be the big dog on the free agent market because every single year these contracts are going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, they certainly are. Look what happened with Otani and Soto. There's, uh, it just is insane the amount of money that's being spent on these agents, these free agents. And, uh, of course, all these young guys are saying, we can't wait till we get there. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's, a good, uh, that's a good point to bring up. Uh, I want to just circle back again to the winter meetings, the uh, frenzy that swirled around Otani, uh, the bizarre nature of uh, keeping silent, not keeping silent. I mean, you were in the middle of it somewhat down in Nashville because of the uh, press conference that was supposed to be with Ross, and then all of a sudden he's not there. They reschedule it to a Zoom. Kind of, kind of talk us, talk to us about how this week unfolded, how bizarre it was, the media frenzy, the social media stuff, the post that there is a private plane going from Anaheim to Toronto. I mean. I've been watching and being a fan and a, a, a reporter for the game, not certainly not as long as you, but I've never seen anything like it. Please describe what it was like to be where you are following all this insanity. I, I don't think I'll ever cover something that strange again. And I, uh, part of me hopes I don't. It was a, a very, uh, very revealing, I guess is the right word, uh, week. Now, it began back on day one of those winter meetings in Nashville on the Monday. We were supposed to meet with Ross Atkins in person like it always happens at, I believe, 4.30 local time. And an hour, maybe hour 15 before, we get an email uh, from uh, the Blue Jays uh, baseball media department who we work with saying that this is going to happen on Zoom now. 
there has been a scheduling conflict. And obviously, your mind jumps to Ross Atkins is in L.A. or Dunedin, wherever, wherever Shohei Otani is right now. And I, I, I'm lucky I had my notepad up on the screen here. So my, my first question to Ross was, where are you? Which is a, a wild question to be asking someone on a Zoom. Now, I have things behind me. I, I have frames on the wall, chairs. There are little clues you might glean from this that I'm in my apartment. His was a blank white wall, a black suit, a white shirt. Above him, there were two lights coming down. You were even looking, and this is where my mind was. I was even looking, is the sun coming in? Because you can see on me right now, the sun is coming in on this side of my face. Maybe I would be able to see something and glean, oh, he's not on this coast of the country. He's on the other coast where the sun is rising or setting. That's how ridiculous this was right out of the gates. Not ridiculous in, in a way that it shouldn't have happened that way, but just a, the bizarre nature of it, which I kind of enjoyed. It, it, it was a wild story as it happened. But his answer here that he gave me, I said, Ross, are you with us here in Nashville or has business taken you elsewhere? And he said, due to scheduling conflicts, I was able to be on this Zoom call and I'm grateful for your adjustments to be here with me today. I wanted to make sure that I was with you and Zoom permitted that. A masterclass of saying nothing. And throughout this process, Ross Atkins and the Blue Jays fully adhered to Otani's wishes that nothing be said. Now, sure, it, it's easy for me to get upset at that because my job relies on people saying things, but I also respect how this game works. And if that's what Otani wanted, Ross Atkins and the Blue Jays sure did it. They said nothing at all. It's uh, one of our colleagues from Japanese media, I believe, asked John Schneider right off the top of his media availability, were you at the meeting? You look tanned. And Schneider just laughed back at him and said, I live in Florida. You know, some of these amazing moments that because of how bizarre this whole was, this whole situation was, these great little moments that I'll never forget. I will never forget that white wall behind Ross Atkins or some of those media scrums where everyone was starting to understand what was happening, but nobody could say it out loud. Then we get to Friday. Uh, Friday or Saturday, whichever the airplane day was, which I will uh, Friday. always remember. And Friday. Going, going through that day, of course, the flight tracker starts. Shades of Kawhi Leonard when he was in Toronto. <laughs> you see people digging up. Well, here's a picture of Shohei on Instagram. It's the same airplane. It's from near where he lives. Last week, this plane flew here. And there are two sides of this. There are a fan side and a media side. On the fan side, this was one of the only good days I remember on Twitter. For fans to have something to collectively go crazy about, that's as good as it gets. And you saw the passion of people chasing this down. You saw thousands of people who clearly were getting no work done that day whatsoever. And that's when sports, that's when baseball is at its best. And that's when you see even a shade of what the NBA generates. I, I think the NBA is such a great league when it comes to player movement and transactions and also a little bit of drama. Baseball can use a little bit more drama like this that sucks people in. And you saw fans get sucked in, which is great. That's their job. That's what they're great at. Now, on the media side of this, it was much different. And I, I think it's important not to overlap those. You know, my, It's a fan's job to get excited as hell. It's my job to get things right. And 
not everything was done right uh, from a media standpoint. There was, you know, going through the week, I did find it very interesting in terms of how much information or, or preferences of Otani were getting out there. Um, as a guy who his entire thing is silence, his entire thing is secrecy. Then earlier in the day, of course, there was the report from the, the blog in Los Angeles that Otani had made a decision. Now, that blog has since retracted that with a rather embarrassing apology that's not even an apology. It read like a performance art piece. But that kickstarted a frenzy throughout the day. People are losing their minds. The great hope is coming true. Uh, later in the day, it was reported that Otani was, in fact, uh, on that flight by John Morosi in a tweet that he has since retracted, saying he got bad information on that. So the excitement continued to build and continued to build. And for fans, again, that's their job. Ride the lightning, enjoy those highs. They don't come around all that often. But the excitement, understandably, grew to an absolute frenzy. Then Shohei's not on the plane. And instead of Shohei Otani, it is a Canadian businessman who was on Dragon's Den. I mean, this is... Well, Shark Tank. The, it was a Shark Tank guy, wasn't it? Shark Tank. There we go. I, I'm, I'm Canadianizing it. But it just... These incredible twists and rises and falls in all of this that show, number one, the importance of getting it right, because I, I'm a big believer it's a reporter's job to bat a thousand. Uh, will that always happen? No. Should it always happen? I hope so. And also, it was a lesson in what those days can be like and what fan passion can look like in this game. When you get a little bit of drama, a little bit of investigative work, <laughs> tracking flights, tracking Instagram pictures, it, it was amazing to watch play out, but it was messy. And a lot of that played into the incredibly high hopes that Blue Jays fans had. I'm sure some tickets sold in that time. I am sure some people placed bets uh, on things that were going to happen. You know, there's... Real, uh, real emotions, real dollars involved in a lot of this. And then at the end of all of it, the very next day, who breaks the news? Shohei Otani. For him to do that himself and for his yeah. agent to break the numbers involved, amazing. It's hard to do that. It's very hard to do that. You almost never see it. But in the end, his whole thing is that we don't know anything about him. He won't even reveal his dog's name. I and in the end, yeah. he is the guy in charge of the story. He broke the story despite all of the mess that had happened before it. Uh, certainly an amazing uh, week, an amazing journey. It wasn't the result that Jays fans uh, or the city of Toronto wanted, but it was incredible to watch it unfold the way it did. And we can only look forward to... Uh, what the Jays are going to do in 2024 to get this fan base excited. And hopefully there'll be some uh, moves uh, upcoming. Um, uh, before we let you go, uh, I want to remind everybody you are listening to the Gibby show presented by our friends at Miller light this holiday season. When you're heading out to a party or enjoying friends and family at your home, don't forget to include the Miller light into those festivities. They have been the official sponsor of the Gibby show. And I know Gibby will be cracking open his favorite beer this holiday season. After all, anytime is Miller time. 
the light beer that tastes like a real beer, Miller Lite, the official sponsor of Major League Baseball, and right here on The Gibby Show. Corner booths, sticky floors, weekdays that feel like weekends. You never forget the way some things taste. Miller Lite, great taste, 90 calories. Tastes like Miller time. Uh, but before, Keegan, we let you go, you last appeared on this show on November the 20th with myself and right. the namesake for this show, John Gibbons, Gibby himself. Uh, later that week, uh, Gibby was signed by the Mets to be their new bench coach. Uh, you had some fun with that on social media, saying that the Mets must have really enjoyed the, the interaction that you had with Gibby here. You know, it was either that or, or Gibby finished up talking to me and he, he took a look around and said, you know what, I, I took a couple teams to the ALCS and now I'm talking to this idiot. I'd better get back into the game. So he, he uh, I'm glad that the show has continued, number one. I'm glad that Devin Travis made it on the week after me. Uh, you guys had Steve Phillips. You've had some shows. I was very worried. My first worry was, oh, my God, I'm going to be the finale. And a finale needs to be grand and big. And I thought, I don't know if I live up to that billing. I might just live on as the finale for years and years. But uh-huh. I, I'm thrilled for Gibby, uh, thrilled for him to be back with the, the team where it all started with him. Uh, you know, speaking with a couple of uh, you know, colleagues who cover the Mets, uh, I told them, hey, you, you're going to have some fun. <laughs> you are going to yeah. have some, you know, some lightness and uh, some good jokes, maybe some uh, – some loving ribbings brought to your days, but uh, it's baseball is a better place with, uh, with Gibby back in a dugout. Um, I don't know how many times he can get ejected as bench coach. We'll see, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it'll, be a, it'll be a good time. It's uh, very that'll happy. Be, that'll be, that'll be fun to watch. And, you know, me and Gibby going back really since 1981, when we were roommates with the Shelby Mets, uh, uh, we've known each other for such a long time. Our other roommate was J.P. Ricciardi at the time, uh, yes. back then. And it's a very incestuous game, and, uh, you know, and people help others. And uh, uh, Phillips helped uh, Gibby uh, break in as a roving uh, catching coach and gave him his first uh, job as a minor league manager in the Mets system. So it's kind of full circle for Gibby. Everyone that I've spoke to think it's a great hire. Uh, but also a question for you is we see – bench coaches uh, across major the major leagues. Um, do you think there'll come a time when Gibby perhaps gets another shot managing now that he's back in the majors and back in like the public eye? Isn't it kind of a transition where uh, bench coaches eventually somewhere maybe get in a chance to be a big league skipper again? Definitely. I think it puts him back on that radar. If that's something that Gibby would look to do later on, you know, beyond this season, then we see a lot of let, let me choose my words carefully here with veteran managers. Okay, yeah. I know that Gibby's not Bruce Bochy or Ron Washington's age just yet, no. but we're no. seeing a lot of veteran managers uh, back in the game and managers who are good managers of people. It's important to understand the analytics that will never go away. But I think that baseball now is seeing the value of a manager or leaders in an organization or clubhouse who can manage people at the same time. It's hard to be able to manage numbers and people. And I think I alluded to this, John, when we were together last time, that what always impressed me thinking back about Gibby with the Blue Jays is how he managed personalities. Those 2015, 2016 teams, they had 10 guys, 10 players 
who would be the biggest personality on this current Blue Jays team. Managing that, you know, knowing when to get off the tracks because a freight train is coming or knowing when to say, you know, hey, Josh Donaldson, come here, is an art. It is a difficult thing to learn. And it's something that a veteran like Gibby understands. So the game, I believe, is is keeping space or maybe even creating a bit more space for for baseball people who understand those relationships, understand how to manage people uh, in all of this, because every team's got numbers. Every team has a million people and a million computers with analytics. That's always going to be there. But I think that the the human skills are what's going to separate a lot of people. And uh, you know what? I'd, I would put Gibby on that list. Yeah. Well, he certainly has endeared the fans uh, across Canada, and everyone really loved the opportunity to see him week after week right here on the Gibby Show. And uh, uh, we do have a couple of shows left before we got to call it a day. Obviously, we're doing some best ofs. Uh, But uh, for me personally, uh, getting to know you and and be able to speak to you, I I certainly follow you on on social media, on Twitter, read every one of your columns uh, throughout the season. I was always like... uh, when I'm prepping for a show, I go to your stuff first because you always were accurate. And it, it was just your reporting uh, is just impeccable. And it's a pleasure for me to be able to uh, thank you for coming on the show again to talk about Otani and, and of course, give us another insight uh, into John Gibbons. Uh, absolutely. I appreciate that so much, Sean. These, uh, this has been my pleasure. Always enjoy uh joining you guys. And uh, if we ever do down the road, I'm always here. Thank you so much, Keegan. We appreciate it. Now it's time for another Best of Gabby with Gibby segment brought to you by Tim Hortons. There's a new and fun lineup of giftable items for everyone on your holiday shopping list now available at participating Tim Hortons restaurants across Canada. Give the gift of Tim's with a three-pack of Tim's scented candles and apple fritter french vanilla cappuccino and maple scents you could pick up a snowy tim bits night 500 piece puzzle or the new limited edition tim horton's winter blend fine grind coffee and candy cane hot chocolate mix help a loved one add to their tim's collection with the new versions of annual Tim Hortons holiday merchandise favorites, including the Tim's holiday snow globe, ornament, ceramic mug, and stainless steel travel mug, or pick up some hot chocolate ornaments as a fun gift to include with your holiday cards. Tim Hortons holiday merchandise is available at participating Tim's restaurants in Canada while supplies last. Availability varies by restaurant. On today's special Best of Gabbing with Gibby, we will take a look back to that unforgettable 2015 team and season when Gibby and the Jays came so close to winning it all. From the swagger of that club to the bat flip heard round the world, those memories are discussed here with some of the members of that unforgettable team with the unforgettable style that is Gibby. Enjoy this Best of Gibby focusing on the 2015 team. Devin Travis, you made the Jays in 2015 after a great spring training. I mean, uh, being named the starting second baseman. Uh, how, did Gibby break the news to you that you made the team? Tell us about how that unfolded. Oh, yeah. I Man, I, I was 
realizing it was starting to get to the end. Um, I was not even on the 40 man roster yet. And uh, I knew I was having a, a, a pretty good spring training. I got off to a terrible start, by the way. I, I, I remember thinking, I think I was 0 for 10, 0 for 12. And, and uh, we were in Clearwater and I got an 0-2 breaking ball right down the middle and hit a ground ball up the middle. And Tim Leeper pinched me and said, don't stop now. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I still credit Leeper. I'm like, Leeper, I'm not kidding you. You're the only person that kept me going every day because I was looking around thinking, man, Gibby thinks I steep, stink. Jose Reyes thinks I stink. Everybody thinks I stink. I can't even hit the dang ball forward. Um, so, yeah, it was the crazy start. And then I kind of just blacked out the rest of the spring training. Um, I was sitting at my locker. DeMarlo Hale came and grabbed me, I believe, um, and uh, said, hey, Gibby wants to talk to you. Well, I've read plenty of stories on on social media and, and heard stories on ESPN that this is normally the time where you figure out if you're making a team or not. So I walk in. It's it's Alex Antopoulos. Gibby leaning back in his chair, all comfortable. My heart, I can't even damn talk. It's beating so damn fast. Um, and then DeMarlo's in the corner. And I'm trying to look and get a read, like, okay, someone smile, give me something, nothing yet. And then, bam, Gibby goes, all right, Dan, well, you know, you've had a great spring training. Told you coming in, we're going to give you every chance to win the job. And, yeah, just wanted to tell you, congratulations, buddy, you made the team. And, and I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know if I cried. I don't know if I screamed. I don't know if I went and hugged him. Um, yeah, it was the best day. That was the best day. Um, on my life because you know you wait your entire life to 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 make your dream come true and and yeah man when Gibby told me those words I uh I just remember going to call my mom and dad I know I cried on that phone call and it was a special day. Jerry Howard, Alex Anthopoulos, Canadian, born in Montreal, came to the Blue Jays after working for the uh, Expos and put together a wonderful 2015 season which you were a part of. And uh, people coming and the bat flip home run by Jose Bautista. And it just, it was the beginning of what was going to be a wonderful era here with Alex as the general manager. But for whatever reason, and I won't go into specifics, uh, the Rogers people brought in Mark Shapiro and later Ross Atkins. And much to Alex's credit, because he saw that leadership and decision-making come to an end abruptly without him even knowing about it. He said, no, thank you. Turned down $10 million, five years, $2 million a year. And I really respected that because he wanted to have the authority that he had to take the team at 2015 at the July trade deadline to bring in Troy Tulowitzki and David Price and so many others to make that team viable and just missing going to the World Series. Well, you know, and uh, I just thought there in Kansas City, the Blue Jays were on their way to beating the New York Mets and uh, winning another World Series under your leadership, but especially Alex's leadership. Justin Smoke. Hey, you got some good. You got uh, some good memories for those those fifteen and sixteen teams, man. It was it was a, it was a unique bunch, wasn't it? I know if the fans have heard of all about a lot of them, but it was a good mix of guys. We had some. It, I mean, guys. It, we had some... <laughs> it was. I I I tell people all the time. Those 15 and 16 teams, I felt like every day we went on the field, we thought we were going to fight, right? I mean, you thought we were going to yeah. – I mean, it, it wasn't like we are it, it wasn't like we were trying to fight, or, but people hated us. People didn't like us. And I think it was because we had – you know, first of all, we had really good players. They, they knew we were good. But, you know, guys carried themselves like, hey, we're going to kick your butt. And I can't – what – was I couldn't remember if it was 15 – I think it was the 15 team. 
I can't, how many times were we down by six or seven runs in the third inning and we come back and win 12 to 10? Like, it was something, it was, it was the craziest thing I've ever been a part of. I mean, it'd oh, be, yeah. our starter would go out there and give it up, you know, be down seven in the first. The next thing you know, we end up winning the game. And so, you know, we just had, we had a good group of guys that just didn't care and just went out there and played hard. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the score is. We're, 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 you know, we're, we're going to play till the end. And that, and that's kind of what we did. Hey, you remember though, the key, Hey, remember our defense was shake, shaky that year. Right. You know, and, and the, we had a uh, Reyes was played short and God bless him, but he was getting older, right? He, he lost his range, you know, and then we're, then we're, you know, we we're playing, uh, uh, Valencia and Calabello in the outfield. Right. And, you know, they couldn't, they, they weren't outfielders, right? Ball, so balls dropping in. So, but then, so then we, but we would outslug everybody. We'd, we'd, we'd have to, you know, we'd have to score 10 runs some nights to win. Right. And then, but that's, that's hard right. to do. And, and, but then when the, the big, the big day, the trades, Tulowitzki came in. I think, I think that was the key Tulo. You know, you were out there on the field with him. Tulo cleaned up that infield. You know, Ben Revere cleaned yep. up that left field, you know, and, and uh, yep. uh, because you can hit all, you can hit all you want. You know what? If you don't play defense yep. in any sport, you're not going to win yep. anything. It's, it's, it's especially in that, you know, the playoff time of year. I mean, it, it all comes down to pitching defense anyway. I mean, because those, those games aren't going to be eight to one, eight to five or eight. to. I mean, they're going to be close games and you got to be able to do that. Marco Estrada, you had two fabulous back-to-back games where you took no hitters into the eighth inning. Uh, one against the Orioles, and in your very next start, you took a perfect game into the eighth, uh, broken up by a, a weak little infield single. And and a two-part question here uh, about 2015. What do you remember about those two heartbreaking games, first of all, and how special was it to be part of that 2015 uh, Toronto Blue Jays squad? So the the two you know seven inning no hitters or whatever it was um the first one no joke all i thought to myself the entire time was how am i doing this right now i am all over the place i'm not locating anything i'm getting i got away with a lot of stuff that day uh i i think i ended up throwing 128 pitches which was probably the most in my career that's that's two starts nowadays sorry (laughs) But, I mean, you know, you have a no-hitter going, and I know there's no chance in hell you guys would have taken me out regardless of what the pitch count was, and I would have told you the same. I'm not coming out. I don't care if I throw 200 pitches. I'm getting this done. Uh, But as soon as that hit was done, you came out, I think, before the ball even landed. But uh, that that game, I was all over the place, so I I was just – I don't know. It it was luck. It was more luck than anything, I think, or just right pitch at the right time because I don't remember locating very well. Now, the Tampa game, that game, I was locating. Felt right. Everything felt good, and uh, I thought I was going to do it. And, you know, people try not to think about it. I knew what was going on. And uh, and still, the, the, the hit I gave up wasn't – it's not like it was frustrated, which I wish it would have been um, – Luckily, it was justified later. I think Kiermaier came up and hit a, a rocket up the middle or something, line drive to center. So it was justified, and uh, it was a great game. You know, the defense was incredible. Obviously, Donaldson made that one play, and he almost made that one ground ball play also. Uh, but I think it was Foresight that beat it out. Um, the defense was incredible. Navarro called a great game, as he always did. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then what, what was the second question? 
It was just how special was it to be part of that 2015 squad? What a special yeah, year. Obviously, it was very special. I think to this day, it was one of the best teams put together. Um, you know what? They, that team helped me out a lot. They uh, helped me out mentally <clears throat> because it wasn't like that in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, most veterans were – it's almost like they ganged up on you. And maybe because I was a rookie and, you know, I, I just kind of kept to myself. But it felt like it wasn't the same. With Toronto, It uh, guys wanted to make you feel better. They boosted your confidence every single day. And I, I think that's what changed my career. And it's not like I did bad with Milwaukee. I pitched really well, but the confidence wasn't quite there. I didn't I didn't really believe in myself <clears throat> like I did in Toronto. And those guys did that for me. It was kind of it was kind of an odd bunch, though, wasn't it, Marco? Man, it was a good It sure was. <laughs> it, it it was completely different. Everybody was about flair and style and whatnot, you know, the showboating, which I didn't showboat. I didn't like it. But, no, uh, no. You know what? If it made the guys mentally stronger, go ahead and do it. Showboat, do whatever you have to do to make you a better baseball player because I wanted to win. So it was a lot Person of fun. Per personalities, man. Oh, that, that was that was a lot of fun, man. You were you were such a big part of that. Josh Donaldson. <laughs> Toronto at that time hadn't, from the baseball side, experienced a winner in, in so long that, you you know, they were just hoping that you came in and, and played well and you, you could help win some ball games. And then uh, once really uh, the All-Star break in 15, you know, we were hovering around 500. And then we were able to get David Price, Troy Tulowitzki, and add some uh, key pieces to the bullpen. Uh, ben Revere also was, you know, important for our team um you know the, the the fans just once we made those trades it was a sellout every night and the energy and the atmosphere was absolutely electric i want to take you back to 2015 you had two huge wins in the postseason holding texas to one run in that potential elimination game for the jays keeping the season alive. And then once again in the ALCS, your performance against the Royals in game five, seven to one, you faced the minimum number of batters through six and two thirds. That was the longest streak for an AL starting pitcher in the postseason since Don Larson's perfect game in 1956. You only wow. allowed the one run. It was a homer to Salvador Perez with two outs in the eighth. Uh, and this is a question for both you, Marco, and for Gibby. How badly did you want to finish that game? And Gibby, how hard of a decision was it to take Marco out after that gem of, of performance? Yeah, it was uh, obviously you always want to finish. And if it were up to me, I would have finished the game. But I do understand that there's, you know, the, the pitch count and everything. Um, but I also... I think I remember them saying, listen, we actually wanted to pull you out because you deserve some sort of acknowledgement yeah. for what you did today. And uh, so, you, I mean, obviously, I really appreciate that because that's it's top three loudest stadiums I've ever heard in my life when I walked off that field. And obviously, the Batista Batflip, that was probably the loudest I've ever heard any stadium. But uh, when I walked off that field, how loud it was, um, it just made you appreciate that move um you know to to give me that acknowledgement um i'm very thankful for that because i could have easily finished the inning you know there wouldn't have been any class obviously you're walking off the field and you get some claps or whatnot but no one knows if i'm going back out or not so the ovation is just not the same 
Um, so it was, it was nice to be able to walk off the field, get the ovation and, and the appreciation. And, uh, I really, yeah, really appreciate that. Hey, I remember you said to me, I got to, Hey, hey let me finish this. This when now, you know, you know, Hey, go get your tip your hat, brother. You know, but yeah, you know, I did, but, um, but there was a ahead. game and, and I'm sure we're going to get into that one was the Texas one. That one. I tried hard. I tried hard not not to come off that field because we were on the road. So I, I I don't care about any ovations or anything on the road. And I, I wanted to finish that game. I, I mean, it was the ninth inning. I needed two more outs. And I don't know if you saw me, but as you're coming out to get me, I'm yelling at you to, I got this, I got this. Like, get out of here, give me. It's my game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's that? Well, hey, that's that's a that's a think about it. we dropped the first two to Texas at home. You know, it's best, right. you know, best it's three out of five. Right. And and you know what we we never you know, I had never lost confidence. We knew you were pitching and the, you know our guys on our team, you know what? Hey, you know what they, they they we thought we could win, right? So we go down there, but we had the perfect guy on the mound down there, you, right? And yeah, you you, you threw you threw a gem to keep this the season season alive, you know. Jose Batista in two thousand and fifteen. Couple big acquisitions at the trade deadline, and, and team just got caught fire, right? And we go, we go on, we get, we get into the playoffs. All right, we go down. Everybody knows the story. I'm a hundred times, right? We go, we get down. O two, you guys didn't panic. You never panicked, right? We tie it up down in Texas. We go back to the game, one of the most, one of the most going to be most remembered games in in baseball history, right? Okay. And and this this isn't where you made your name, but this is when you kind of solidified who you were. The bat the the big home run. We're down that seventh inning. You know what? Give us a quick synopsis on that again, brother. I know you've said it a hundred times. No, I know, but it's now, it's still it's still exciting exciting to talk about, right? So, like you said, we were down 0-2 at home. We lost the first two games at home. Went down to Texas and beat them. You know, without home field advantage. Uh, twice, so we tied it. And if it was a five-game series, come back home to Toronto. And that game was crazy to to begin with. With you know, obviously good pitching, good defense, no run scored till later. But then Russell threw the ball back. It hit, um, it hit the bat, and there was somebody at third. They ended up scoring. Um, so we felt like you know that was kind of a weird way for them for us to lose the lead per se. And then uh, in that seventh inning, just. Stuff started going our way, you know, with the three errors from their infielders on on some bunts and a routine ground ball, setting up the stage for them playing the infield in um, with no outs, which was weird. I think it was no outs or one out. And then Donaldson gets jammed and hits a little blooper. That would have been probably an easy pop-up to second base. Uh, and then that set up the stage for, for the count, which I don't know if you remember, but we had – play the Rangers a bunch of times that year in the regular season. And Sam Dyson, the guy was nasty, right? Yes, but he only yeah. had one one pitch, really. So it was just a matter of do or die with him. You knew he was going to throw you the sinker. He threw it like 97% of the time. It was a matter of location and just seeing him up. His ball ran a lot and he threw hard. So it was hard to get one of those ones that you can actually drive because they stayed up because he was really good at aiming down below the strike zone. And, he threw two in the dirt. I was able to see those good out of the hand. Then he threw one a little higher. I hit it off my foot. Um, and then I was just like, you know, you don't have to swing as hard. He throws hard. As long as that ball starts a little higher, all you got to do is make contact. 
all, all I'm, I was trying to do was hit a fly ball to get the guy in from third. One thing I did not want to do was hit a ground ball for no play. Um, and sure enough, he threw it a little higher. I just kind of was quick to get the, the bat head out. I, I know that it looks like maybe a big swing, but in my head, I took a super short swing just straight to the ball. And I just flushed it. You know, when you flush a ball and you have a good finish, you know, you. No, no, sorry, I don't. Go ahead. <laughs> we take 10 million swings in a year. So when you when you just feel have that feeling, it's like takes over. You just have that high finish and it just feels like you you swung through butter. Right. You didn't you don't feel even the impact. Um, I knew that I that I got it at that point. And. You know, that, that was a feeling that is hard to replicate and the stadium was going nuts. It felt like the earth was shaking. And I kind of blacked out there for a minute because I don't remember running the bases. The only thing that I remember is coming back and sitting in the dugout and somebody giving me a cup of water. Uh, and, and it was a crazy couple of minutes there for a second. You know, Jose, that, that's, that's that goes down in baseball history as one of the most dramatic home runs ever hit right you know there's, there's you got some bobby thompson you got you got joe carter's wa walking off the, the world series right but there's just something different about this one and you know what i tell people this all the time you could you could have put had any anybody else hit that home run right star player average player right it would not have been the same it just would not have been because you are the face of the franchise you know you, you've been there through lean the lean times right you know, you you were making your mark in the game, tremendous years, but you had no not, not enough supporting cast, and there was just there's something something you know. In in you had that personality in the game. This was your team. You were an emotional player. It would not have been the it would not have been the same if anybody else ever played the game hit that. I I, I, tr I truly believe that, and and that's why you know, man, we're old oh, man. You're gonna have them grandkids sitting on your lap. You're gonna flip that on and go. It's just gonna still play that forever. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, and it creates a memory, right? And that's the interaction between oh. the fan, the fans, and the sport. And that's that's ultimately why we do this. You know, if you think about it, really, why do people want to watch sports? It's to create moments and memories like that one. So, for me to be even the guy, like you said, to be stepping up to the plate in that situation, I was lucky enough, and to make something like that happen is is really rare. So, I definitely understand the the you know, the fortune that I, that I had of being that guy. Yeah. You, yeah, you came through. Hey, okay. Then we move on. Then we move on to, we, we, we close out the Rangers. We play the Kansas city Royals. You had a tremendous postseason. We, we get down to, you know, we did my only regret. We didn't win it that year. I thought that was the team to do it. Right. But that's hey, that's baseball. They had a good, they had a good club, different type of club, but they were really good. But that game six, Hey, you tried to single-handedly win that sucker, hitting the two home runs. You hit the home run to tie. I mean, sometimes that you know when you hit that big home run against Texas, a lot of that stuff gets gets lost in the in the in memory. And you know, for a first time in, the, I think that was your first playoffs, right? In that that year, fifteen. Yeah, first first time ever. I mean, you you stepped to the plate. And that, a lot of guys, that's hard to do. A lot of guys have trouble with that in the postseason. Yeah, and I, I remember, you know, sometimes that's what that's what's good and cool but also heartbreaking about baseball sometimes the breaks go your way and it's pure bliss right but sometimes the breaks go against you and and it kind of sucks i remember somebody hitting a home run on their team and a fan leaning over you know in right center and i thought for sure with the review that was going to get called back and it didn't i remember uh you know the miscommunication between um uh ryan goins and myself on a pop-up 
uh, that opened up a big inning for, for the Royals. So it was bittersweet that postseason for sure. Uh, but, you know, I agree with you. I felt like that year we, we had a pretty good chance and I was like the one that slipped away, you know. Yeah, but you know what? It, it, it's still uh, some kind of year, man. And you know, right. to be a part of that with you guys, and uh, it was a special group. That wraps up the special Gabbing with Gibby. Next week, we'll feature more best of segments highlighting some great guests and memories of the Gibby show. Now inspired by our friends at Miller Lite, it's time for this week's Roast and Toast. The city of Toronto, the fans of the Blue Jays, and all baseball fans in Canada were ecstatic when a report surfaced this past Friday on X, formerly known as Twitter, by a baseball media representative that simply read, Shohei Otani is en route to Toronto today. That post caught fire. And there were rumors that Otani was on a private plane leaving Anaheim Airport on its way to Toronto with Otani on board. While it was true that a private plane did in fact leave from Anaheim for Toronto, Shohei Otani was not a passenger. The passenger on this private plane turned out to be one of the stars of the American TV show Shark Tank, Robert Herjavec. That social media post gave everybody false hope that Otani was on his way to Toronto to sign with the Jays. And of course, we all now know that was not to be the case. Uh, The person who did report on that was MLB Network's John Morosi. And Morosi then uh, had to post uh, a retraction. Uh, They got over 9 million impressions on X saying, quote, Today I reported, uh, I did some reporting that included inaccurate information that Shohei Otani was traveling to Toronto. I regret the mistake and apologize to baseball fans everywhere. I am deeply sorry for letting you down. Well, uh, for getting everybody's hopes up in Toronto, in the country of Canada, uh, we have to give this week's roast, and that's got to go out to John Morosi of MLB Network. Mistakes happen, of course, but this one uh, got an entire country Uh, excited, and uh, we got to give Morosi the roast. Uh, This week's toast will be a little unusual. It's going to go to the team of people that helped bring this show to you for this entire season. As we near the final episodes of The Gibby Show, just two weeks remaining now, uh, we would not be here without them. They have been the official beer of this podcast, the official beer of Major League Baseball. So inspired by our friends, at Miller Lite, this week's toast goes out to the light beer that we've been proud to be associated with all season long. Uh, we want to thank and toast our friends over at Miller Lite. Corner booths, sticky floors, weekdays that feel like weekends. You never forget the way some things taste. Miller Lite, great taste, 90 calories, tastes like Miller time. And that will wrap up this edition of The Gibby Show. I want to thank our executive producer for the show, doing an incredible job week after week, Mark Millier. And thanks to our creative director, Chris Sabunia. Uh, You can find me uh, on Twitter or X and Instagram, simply at John Arezzi. And if you're a fan of pro wrestling, uh, you could check out my two other podcasts, John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight and Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, available everywhere you listen to your favorite 
podcast or on YouTube. And I do want to give a quick plug out to my book, Matt Memories, My Wildlife in Pro Wrestling, Country Music, and with the Mets, available everywhere. Gibby himself one, uh, wrote one of the forwards to the book, along with wrestling legend Mick Foley. And, uh, of course, the number one best-selling uh, book right now in Canada when it comes to baseball, Gibby, Tales of a Baseball Lifer, is also available as well. It would be a great Christmas present for uh, someone in your family or one of your friends. Uh, for John Gibbons, this is John Arezzi. Remember, we'll be back next week. Just two shows remain before it's all over. You won't want to miss them. As always, thank you for listening or watching on YouTube, The Gibby Show.